Welcome to Enlightenedhood, a sacred space for mothers, mothers to be, and mothers by proxy to share how mindfulness and spirituality intertwine with one of life's biggest responsibilities, motherhood. Each week, we will gather nuggets of inspiration, empowerment, and wisdom from wild and woke mamas who are tapped into their highest selves and raising the next generation along with the consciousness of this planet. I'm your host, Lena Lemos, founder of Enlightenedhood, a community of mindful and spiritual mamas committed to personal growth and divine sisterhood through our one-of-a-kind inner work membership and spiritual magazine. Welcome. I am so grateful that you're here. Hello, you mindful mamas, and welcome back to another episode. Happy Sunday. I just wanted to share something with you real quick because I have found that when I am going through something and I share what's on my heart, chances are that one of you is going through it too. And so many of you say, you always know exactly what to say. And that's because I'm going through it too. I'm in the trenches too. So in case you need to hear this today, last weekend was really fucking rough. I was at a really low, low. I spent a lot of time in my own head. I was going through a lot of things. I'm dealing with really hard shit with my dog right now. And you know, just when you think that you've learned a lesson, (laughs) the universe throws it in your face again. That was me last weekend. And we're right now in book circle. We're reading Super Tractor by Gabby Bernstein. And you may ask, Lena, what's Enlightenedhood book circle? Well, every month we read a book and then we talk about it together. And so it's reading with your soul fam. Anyone can join. It's free to join. So if you're interested in that, check it out on enlightenedhood.com. But anyway, Gabby Bernstein in Super Attractor talks a lot about asking your guides for help, asking them to help you choose love, asking them to help you choose joy, asking them to help you choose again when you're trying to manage your thought patterns. So I asked my guides to help me choose love. And the second I made that shift and the second I chose love, everything changed. Everything shifted. It was truly fucking magical. (laughs) Uh, So if you're going through something right now and you just feel like it's rock bottom or low lows, I urge you to consider places where you can approach it from a place of love. It's easy to want to hurt others when we've been hurt and it's easy to want to judge and it's easy to not fall into this place of self-loathing. But I urge you to choose love, choose love for yourself, choose love for others because love is the highest, purest thing that we have. (laughs) But anyway, I'm really excited for you to hear my guest today. You are going to absolutely love her. Nina is the co-author of the national bestseller, Let That Shit Go, which I will link to in the description of this podcast. You can go buy it immediately on Amazon. But Nina faced an unexpected childhood tragedy, which inspired her mindfulness and meditation journey 20 years ago. After climbing the corporate ladder for nearly a decade, she took a year sabbatical and moved to California to unplug and continue her pursuit for happiness. It's been her greatest passion to help others find calm amidst the chaos. With that, she founded Pure Minds, a company that conducts mindfulness and meditation workshops for the public and corporate sector. She is also an advocate of leaning into mindfulness solutions for children. Nina just bravely shares her story and it is just such 
an amazing one. We also talk about the biggest mindfulness and meditation myths, how we can add more mindfulness to our day without being overwhelmed, and why meditation is so good for your brain. So here's Nina. So I want to know, tell me about that catalyst moment, because from what I know about you, you experienced a tragedy in your childhood that led Mm -hmm. you on this spiritual and mindfulness journey. Tell me about what happened. Yeah. So I was 16 at the time and my parents were going through a pretty challenging separation. Uh, My mom, you know, after being in a marriage that was unhealthy for 22 years, decided that she wanted to leave. My dad didn't want her to. um, And, you know, at the time, looking back now, he was dealing with depression, probably borderline personality, but obviously it was all undiagnosed and untreated. Mm -hmm. Um, About six months after she, you know, told him that she wanted to leave the marriage, my mom and I came home from an appointment and very long story short, um, we lost my dad and my brother, um, to a very tragic, uh, murder suicide. And yeah, had, you know, the situation been different, um, he was planning to basically take me as well. So I was 16 and I struggled with a lot of survivor's guilt. I struggled with, you know, PTSD. Um, I went through a really challenging time and just started to question, you know, what's life about? What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And saw many therapists and child psychologists. My mom was really great at making sure, you know, I had the support. I went to teen support groups. Um, but I also really got into spirituality, um, at the time. And it was the one thing that had answers to my questions. And it was the one thing that kept me grounded. Um, and even throughout my life, you know, I still see therapists and I still, you know, see healers and energy healers and all that stuff. But I feel like my mindfulness and my meditation practice and my spirituality is the one thing that has kept me grounded since. And that's why I'm just so passionate about teaching it to others and, you know, spreading everything that I was, you know, lucky enough to, to learn so far. So tell me what that process looked like, because then you grew up, you entered corporate America. And what was that like balancing (laughs) that newfound spirituality with becoming a young adult? Yeah, that's a great question. And it was hard. Um, you know, I, after that incident, I went to school, then I went to business school, and then I got my, you know, corporate career and did, you know, over a decade in sales and marketing and various roles. And I loved what I did at the time, but I think a huge part of me, I kind of suppressed because I was probably that woo-woo person in the office that had like, you know, sayings on their walls and, you know, always wanting to be, you know, focused on happiness and the purpose of life. But again, when you're sitting in corporate, it's P&Ls and it's, you know, five-year projections and it's strategic conversations. And so I think I kind of very quietly practiced that on the side. And it wasn't until 2010 when I hit a really peak point of stress in my career and I was addicted to my you know, Blackberry at the time, or as they called it, Crackberry. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, something's got to change. You know, I've got, something's got to change because I'm 
in this rut and I'm not happy anymore and I need to find myself. And so in 2010, I did something drastic. Um, we sold our house, left my career, put kids on hold and went to Northern California and studied like spirituality, like hardcore Eastern philosophy for a year in the Redwoods and totally unplugged, you know, so no phone, no social media, no access to the internet, no friends. In fact, I told my friends that they wanted to get a hold of me, they had to write me a letter. And I actually like sent and received 150 letters that wow. year, wow. which was really cool. But that was kind of the point where I was like, you know, I need to start being a little more authentic to who I am and owning that spiritual side of me. Okay. So I need to know everything about what that transformation was like, because that's my dream is just to live in a cabin by myself and just <laughs> unplug. So what happened in that year? Um, it was, you know, I went with my partner and we always say like, it was the most incredible experience of our life, but it was also the most challenging mm-hmm. because you really have to let go of your identity as you know it, you know, like this corporate woman who was like successful and climbing the ladder. And like, at the time, my whole life was basically my social life and my career. So, you know, suddenly you get to the Redwoods and, you know, your diet is different and you're getting up at 4.30 for meditation. And, um, you know, you're in classes all day learning about spirituality. And it's like, who am I? And, you know, one of my teachers said, you know, at the six month mark, if you start questioning who you are, that's a good thing because you're kind of unraveling all this conditioning Mm -hmm. that you've come with. And the other crazy thing about unplugging, which I'm very aware of now is that, you know, we live in an era of great distraction. Like when shit comes up for us, it's so easy for us to pick up our phones or talk to a friend or, you know, watch Netflix and distract ourselves because who wants to deal with shit when it comes up, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really scary, deep stuff. So in that year was when um, so much stuff came up and I had no choice. Like I had, it was me and the Redwoods and the mountains. And when stuff came up, especially about my dad, my brother and my past, or even my people pleasing tendencies or the challenges I had at work, um, I had to deal with it. And so, you know, a big part of that transition was, was being aware of how much I just distracted myself in my career. I think that's why I got so career focused because it was just a great distraction for me from, you know, not having to deal with stuff. And it wasn't until about even I'd say 20 years later that so much suppressed stuff started, you know, coming Mm. to surface. Yeah. So what were those core parts of you that you kind of uncovered while you were there? Well, it's a great question. I would say a core part of me was that I lacked um, self-worth. I was a massive people pleaser. I wanted to make sure I hated conflict. I wanted to make sure everyone was happy. I didn't like if somebody liked what I was doing. Um, You know, and a big part of me was not dealing with the events that happened. Mind you, I was 16 and I, you know, it's awkward enough going through life as a teenager. So mm-hmm. go on all this stuff. Um, I also realized there was a lot that I was just repressing and suppressing. So then I think from what I know about you, the little I know about you is that you came out on the other side wanting to give these tools and this gift to help other people. 
So what was that transition like from your time spent in the Redwoods to where you are now? Yeah. So I came back in 2011 and I actually, you know, had that vision. I was like, I want to come back and I want to teach spirituality and meditation. And this is amazing. But then practicality got in the way Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, I got a mortgage. You know, what am I going to do? How do you, you know, I can't, there's no standard of living doing this, you know? And so I actually went back into corporate and I went back into corporate, but I worked for uh, an environmental startup. So I wanted to do something good. I wanted to do something in cause marketing. So I did that and I was, you know, director of marketing there and then GM for two years. And then I had my little one. And that was the moment where I was like, I had another epiphany of, you know, you need to own it. You went through all the spiritual training and then you got yourself right back into corporate and highly stressed. And so with a year, you know, in Canada, we have a year maternity leave. And so at the year mark, I was kind of getting ready to go back. And I said to myself, like, I, I, I can't do this right now. I need to at least give myself a chance to own who I am. And so I founded my company, Pure Minds, and started just doing mindfulness and meditation workshops. Like a really good friend of mine, Kate Petru, she founded a company in mental health. And she actually asked me to teach a couple of workshops. And before we knew it, we were getting corporate requests and one thing led to another. And here I am, you know, three years later, um, established in this company where I do mindfulness and meditation workshops for, you know, for Lululemon and Red Bull and Under Armour and Deloitte, some really great companies. Um, and I absolutely love it because it's the perfect mesh of, you know, my corporate self. Cause I understand that stress. I understand the anxiety, understand all the pressures that come with corporate life, um, but all the tools I use to mitigate that stress. So now I go into these companies and talk to them about, you know, how to better handle themselves and find some calm in all the chaos. I mean, it's so beautiful when those two worlds, like things we thought could never go together, beautifully combine. Absolutely. And I also feel to a certain extent in 2011, this might sound woo woo, but I don't think the world was ready for it. Like people still thought I was totally crazy for like leaving during an economic crisis and leaving my career and selling my own. And so I think, you know, in 2017 is when I started my business. Um, you know, I felt like, okay, people are wanting to know about my meditation. Mm -hmm. There's a thirst for wanting to just find peace. So tell me how motherhood plays into all of this. What was it like having all this spiritual knowledge going into motherhood? And then what did you discover on the other side of it? Yeah, um, it was such a gift, um, you know, and it's, I think becoming a mom was, you know, it enhanced my mindfulness and spiritual practice because the best way to get into a mindful headspace is to play with your children when they're really, really little, like when they're young ones, right? They are inherently mindful. They are in the moment. They are present. They get upset if they're hungry or they're tired. Um, But when you can look at the world through their eyes, you can really be in the here and now. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it also goes back to one of the things I learned when I studied spirituality is that our true nature is happiness, it's peace, it's love, it's joy, it's all these wonderful things. But, you know, at some point in life, we 
we, we build up all this shit and we cannot access that part of ourselves so easily, whereas children can. So I think becoming a mom, it was really great to, um, enhance my mindfulness practice because every time I'm interacting with my daughter, I, you know, the wonder at which they see the world, like, look at that cloud or, Oh my gosh, this fire hydrant green, you know, like the things they say we wouldn't even think of. Right. So I think it's a great way to enhance your practice, um, and look at life through their eyes because that's where we can really find true innocence and true, true bliss. That's completely unfiltered. Yeah, you're one of the few people who I've spoken to who had had such a deep spiritual practice before motherhood. So Mm -hmm. was there any spiritual reawakening or shifts that happened once you became a mother? Yes, absolutely. After um, I had my little one, um, so I don't talk about this a lot, but um, my mom was actually diagnosed. We were very, very close and she was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Um, you know, right before I was pregnant and she actually passed away when I was four months pregnant. So there I was again, you know, dealing with grief and dealing with loss. And, um, when I had my little one, you know, I said, this is the second time now that the world kind of shook me. And it's another reminder that life is short you know, and if I want her to live her authentic truth, and I want to see her own, you know, her entire self, then I better own my entire self. I don't know if you know, um, Shafali Saveri, she uh-huh. talks a lot about, yeah, oh, the conscious yeah. parent. And, you know, it's all about the more conscious you are, like the more your children are going to pick up on that. And so that was kind of my epiphany moment of living it because I had all this knowledge which is great. And it's powerful to have the knowledge, but I feel like I was understanding it intellectually and not owning it. Mm. So I think what motherhood did to me was, was to step up and be like, if you're going to own it, um, you know, if you're going to want her to own it, then you also have to step into that. And that's when, you know, I never went back to corporate after I had her, I started my own business and, you know, with her, I've been doing meditation with her since she was two. And, um, you know, that becoming a mom really helped me live in that space and own that space. I have goosebumps when you say that because I felt the the same exact way. And I think there's just that powerful shift that happens. And it's so funny you said step up because that was the exact same wording and thought I had too when I knew that I wanted to become a mom. I'm like, I'm I'm not living as my most authentic self. Something really like there has to be a really dramatic shift here. And that's I kind of stepped into this space, but it was those that exact words, step up. So amazing. I love Love it so much. Talk to me about, you said you do meditation with your daughter, but do you have any other daily practices or rituals that you do? Yeah. I mean, I try to do it daily. It doesn't always happen daily when you're like trying to get ready for school and make lunches and can't find matching socks and you know, all that fun (laughs) stuff. But, um, a couple of things we try to do. So one is, um, just, you know, sit with her and, you know, we have a little altar and a little like statue for the, and, you know, candles that we light. So we light that in the morning. And then, you know, when she was really little, she would sit on my lap. Now she knows to like sit on her own and cross-legged. And we just, you know, say a couple of prayers, take a couple of like really deep breaths. And then at the end of that, you know, um, before we blow out the candle, we always say, um, 
something we're grateful for. So I'm like, what are you grateful for today? And she teaches me like, I mean, at four years old, she started saying, I'm grateful for myself, you know? Um, That's amazing. It's it's incredible. The stuff that, you know, that comes out of her mouth. And um, actually the other day, um, you know, I was going, I love you. And she's like, I love you more. And, you know, she goes, who do you love most me or Dada? She's like, you know, teasing me. And I'm like, oh, I love you both the same. And she's like, do you know who you should love the most? And I'm like, who? And I thought she was going to say her. And she was like, yourself. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, so they learn, they learn all these things. But so, yeah, in terms of ritual, we, um, you know, try to light a candle, say a prayer, and then say one thing we're grateful for. And then we have a couple tools in our house. Um, We have a little breathing ball. So it's like a little... um, a little ball that expands and contracts. And so, you know, I've, we talk about how when you take deep breaths, your belly should expand like a balloon. And as you inhale, and then, uh, you know, as you exhale, it should contract. And so anytime she's having a stressful moment, or, you know, she's feeling a little anxious about something, we go sit in the playroom and use her breathing ball. And we just take a couple deep breaths. And, you know, she sees the ball, you know, um, expand and contract as her belly expands and contracts. And so that's a really good tool. And another great one is a glitter jar. So we made a jar with glitter and water. And anytime you're feeling a little stressed, you shake up the jar and you see the kind of glitter um, spins and you take three deep breaths and the glitter is meant to represent your thoughts and your feelings and that, you know, feeling overwhelmed. And as you take three deep breaths, all the glitter settles. And so do all of your kind of emotions. Mm. I love so that. It's a, yeah. And I went to her class actually, and we did a little workshop and we made glitter jars. And some of the moms were coming up to me saying like, when I'm having a stressful moment, now my kid comes up to me and they're like, mommy, use this jar. It'll really help you get calm. <laughs> so I'm like sorry I'm like I use it too you know um and that's the key too not just saying like go use a breathing ball sometimes I'm like mommy needs to go use her breathing ball like mommy's really worked up right now I need a few minutes I'm gonna go use the breathing ball you know so if you start doing it then you know they'll own it as well working with other parents I mean I would say that parenthood is very stressful. Uh, Corporate America is very stressful. What are some ways that we can add mindfulness to our everyday life that isn't as scary as some people think it might be? Yeah, that's a great question. Because that's what mindfulness is. It's just like, you know, having little moments. And I think there's a big misconception out there too, that mindfulness means like you are present 24 seven, you know, but that's not feasible. Like that's even the Dalai Lama says his mind wanders and he brings his mind back. And so a couple of really practical things you can do, you know, when I came back from my the course and I was back into corporate, I was like, again, stressed out. And one of my teachers was visiting and I said, this whole being present thing, like when you have a mortgage and you have like responsibilities and work stress, it's impossible. Like, how do you even do it? And he gave me a very practical answer. And he said, have moments where you're speaking out loud what you're doing, because so often we're physically doing something like changing a diaper or, you know, going for a walk, like going for a stroll with our stroller um, or, you know, getting to work, but our minds are completely somewhere else. You know, we think between 70, 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. So he said to me, just speak out loud or say in your mind what you're doing. So let's say you're mm. doing the dishes, you know, your dialogue is going to sound something like this. Now I'm putting soap on the sponge now I'm making circular motions on this pot. Now I'm putting this pot on the drying rack. Now I'm picking up this cup. 
And, you know, it really gets you present and it gets you into the here and now. And it sounds kind of crazy and silly, but once you train your mind to do it, you'll have more moments where you actually can catch your mind wandering and bring it back. And even, you know, when I do dishes for like a 15 minute span and I'm practicing this, my mind might wander 30 times in 15 minutes. It's the mind is so quick to go Mm -hmm. into all these directions, right? So mindfulness is all about being aware of all the places it's running to and bringing it back. So a really practical way is to, you know, just be cautious of what's going on in your mind. And another way to get in the moment is to lean into your senses you know, so what am I feeling? What am I smelling? What am I seeing? What am I touching? So if you're out for a walk, listen to the birds and, you know, hear the sound of gravel on your feet and breathe in the fresh air instead of, you know, pushing your stroller and you're thinking about, I got to do this today. And oh, shoot, I didn't text that person back. And like mom guilt about something, you know, just try to be present and in the moment and it'll make all the difference. And you know what, your kids pick up on energy. So they're going to pick up when you're calm, they're going to be calm when you're all worked up. It's going to, not that it's a bad thing. We're all moms that get stressful at times, but they're going to pick up whatever you're feeling. I know a huge part of mindfulness and awareness and presence is starting a meditation practice. And one thing I'm trying to do through this podcast and through Enlightened in general is break down those stigmas of what everyone thinks meditation is of sitting alone, you know, cross-legged in a room for an hour with a completely mind. So can you share with me what those (laughs) misconceptions about meditation are and why they're not true? Yes. There's so many meditation myths out there. And I would say a couple of things. One is the biggest thing I would say is your thoughts don't stop. So many people come up to me and they're like, I can't meditate Nita. And I'm like, why? They're like, my thoughts don't stop. And I'm like, the point of meditation isn't to get your thoughts to stop. You are going to have thoughts. I've been meditating for 15 years now. I've never had a single meditation where it's been completely thought free. You're going to have moments where you'll be, you'll be more Zen and you know, you'll, there are fewer and farther thoughts. Um, but they're always going to seep through. It's their na- the nature of the mind to think thoughts. So I think that is the first thing when you sit down, don't be discouraged if the thoughts come at you. And honestly, sometimes when you're sitting in meditation, it's the first time you are not distracted by anything, right? So you're sitting with your mind and sometimes the stuff that comes up is stuff you've been avoiding or stuff you've been repressing or suppressing. And it's, it's a good thing to look at it, you know? Um, and so I would say that's a big thing. The other thing is don't kind of judge your practice and say that, you know, that I had a good meditation or I had a bad meditation. Just, mm. just be proud of yourself for taking the time to meditate and don't define what a good meditation looks like and what a bad meditation Because some days you're going to feel so Zen and some days your thoughts are going to be out of control. And either way you took the time for your mental space. Cause meditation is like going to the gym for your mind. You know, we take so much care of our bodies. There's so much in society out about pressures about, you know, our bodies and our makeup and the clothes we wear. And, you know, especially like postpartum, you know, what we look like and how we feel and, but how much are we, you know, we eat healthy, but how much are we doing for our minds? Like how much are we actually spending on our mental health? And so what meditation does is it's like going to the gym for your mind because it trains your mind to be aware of all the different ways it thinks. And then when you're out in the real world outside of meditation, your relationships with your thoughts change. Like the thoughts might still come, 
that you're going to be less reactive to them. Um, so I would say, you know, don't judge your practice. Don't expect thoughts to stop. And it's a very, very personal practice. So what works for you might not work for your best friend, might not work for your mommy group. You know, you really have to lean into the apps or the YouTube or the music or no music or these settings or light a candle, not a candle, crystals, whatever works for you. You got to lean into that and just start small. Start like a minute a day. Don't feel like you have to, like you said, sit in a room for an hour, <laughs> start with a minute and then build on that. And then after a week, do two minutes and then three minutes, you know, and just do what feels right for you. You'll know when you get to kind of the peaceful place with it. I think the hardest thing for me was that was the breath and getting yes. out of that pattern of shallow breathing because we yes. just, we're just so custom to just the shallow breath and taking those really big belly breaths, I think was the hardest thing for me to learn how to do. Yes. Yeah. We, we talk about a study in the book um, where a woman has coined the term email apnea because when we open our emails now, we've actually, we actually stopped breathing. Like we're so stressed that we stop breathing, which is completely crazy. <laughs> that but yeah, actually that's, is so true. <laughs> right. Cause we're like, Oh, what's that? What's now? What, wait, how far behind am I? So, I mean, the more, you know, panicked, angry, stressed, anxious, you are the more shallow you're breathing. So you're right. The key is when, if you can take big, deep belly breath, like from your diaphragm and as you're breathing in, you know, you balloon out. And if we can teach our kids this too, like that is half the battle. They can self-regulate all the emotions that come with, you know, little scary emotions in life. And so big belly breaths. And, you know, as you inhale, expand your belly, as you exhale, you know, deflate that balloon and contract that belly. And, you know, you'll, you'll, there's an immediate visceral reaction to, to that. The one thing I didn't know that I just learned recently, which I had no idea that I didn't know this is about how the parasympathetic uh, receptors that are in our belly are for the calm and the Zen, but the ones in our chest are fight or flight. I had no idea. I didn't know. I haven't heard that. I've studied the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, but I had, I've never heard that before. That's amazing. Wow. I think it was, what book was it in? Maybe it was The Energy Codes by Sue Mortar. Okay. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Thank you for sharing that. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense of how our shallow breathing that we're constantly in, you know, that fight or flight moment. But when we take those deep deli, deli, those deep belly breaths, it really does help to reset everything. Absolutely. That's so true. That's so true. I had no idea that connection. And I, I think that's really, really powerful and even more evidence of why we need to breathe Uh deep. Yeah. I think it's when now that there's more attention in the scientific realm being put on all of this, it kind of gives everyone, even you said in 2011, weren't ready to hear it, but now we kind of have this credible pedestal to be like, look, this is actually science. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. There's so many great studies about how meditation changes the structure of your brain and it, you know, shrinks your amygdala, which is associated with fight or flight and stress. And it thickens your prefrontal cortex that's associated with focus and concentration and decision-making. So I lo- I'm like kind of a data monkey because that's where I started my career in, you know, analytics. And I feel like it's so powerful that all these neurologists and scientists are getting behind meditation and there's actual scientific proof that it, you know, changes your brain. 
Mm-hmm. When you're giving workshops in different corporate settings, are there still people who think you're crazy and it's woo-woo <laughs> and kind of are like, Psh. you know what? I, I always ask that question every time I'm talking to the VP or whoever, you know, is having me come in, you know, is this a required workshop or, you know, <laughs> and I'd say 95% of the time it's a required workshop. So I always kind of prep myself that there's going to be some people who, are not as open to it. I mean, we do surveys and stuff and, you know, we've had results that 91% of people rank it a four out of five. So most people it resonates with and it helps that I come from a corporate background so I can like range Mm -hmm. my corporate to woo woo, (laughs) you know, once I read the room. But yeah, there's definitely people who are resisting and the way, you know, being, being an ex people pleaser and still, you know, dealing with that, the way I kind of see that is everything happens for a reason, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I'm in that room for a reason and they're in that room for a reason. So even if they're resisting, who knows, they could be, you know, a seed, a little seed could be planted, you know, in that workshop that maybe they're not even conscious of. And, you know, if it's going to impact at some point, then that's great. That was the exact thing I was thinking. I was like, you're planting a seed that maybe in a few years they'll come back and be like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. this. And now it all makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I'm sure there are still people, you know, who are a little bit resistant and that's okay. Like everybody's on their own path, you know, so I respect it. How has helping others through mindfulness and meditation and giving them these empowering tools, how has it empowered you? Oh my gosh. How has it empowered me? Um... I feel like I have purpose, you know, I feel so fulfilled. I don't feel like I've worked a day since I've started my company. I love what I do. I'm so motivated by what I do. And, you know, I measure my success, not by, you know, monetary gains, but by impact. And so when people come up to me after the workshop and they're like, wow, you just unlocked something that I've been struggling with for 10 years or, oh my gosh, I had no idea. My inner dialogue was so nasty and I was such an asshole to myself or, you know, (laughs) all of these, you know, this feedback, um, is so it's humbling for me. Um, but it's also empowering to know that I, it's all validation for me that I'm on the right path and that there is a need for this. Cause I didn't like all the time I was studying, I didn't, I felt it was more for me. It was more for me since I was 16, you know, and I always wanted to share it, but I just felt like people weren't there, weren't interested. And so now that people are really receptive and wanting to hear more, um, it's definitely empowering. And I remember one of my teachers said to me, uh, when I was studying, you know, we were out for a walk and, you know, all, all of our teachers were different monks from around the world. And he said, you know, as long as you're following a path that is not right for you, you're going to feel like you're walking with a little rock in your shoe, mm. you know? And I was like, oh, that's exactly how I felt and how I feel in corporate. And so finally, I think, you know, going out in the world and teaching all this stuff, I finally eliminated that, that rock that was in my shoe. And, and that is, that's very empowering for me because it allows me to be my authentic self. Mm. That is such a good way of putting it. The rock in your so shoe. Good, right. It's a tip in our, so our book is a hundred tips on how to find peace and calm and 
the everyday. And one of our tips is remove the rock in your shoe. So that was my next question is tell me about your book because you said you unexpectedly <laughs> wrote a book. Yes, so. yes I unexpectedly <laughs> wrote a book. Um, so Kate Petru is my co-author and incredible friend of mine and actually ex-colleague. We actually used to sit across from each other and you know she'd always ask me questions about you know spirituality and mindfulness. She's like, you need to start a business. I'm like, you're crazy, whatever. This is just my passion. Anyway, so she, um, we both left corporate and she founded a company in mental health and um, I founded my company in mindfulness, but she wanted to make mental health approachable. And so she launched all these courses and just put swear words on them, like learn how to fucking meditate or mindful AF or, you know, <laughs> let that shit go or how to not give a shit. And, um, they totally went viral. They, you know, did really well. And, um, Harper Collins, which is our publisher, I guess, caught wind of them and they contacted us and they, they said, we love how you're approaching mindfulness to meditation. You know, would you guys be opening, open to turning this into a book? And we were like, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. This is crazy. And you know, then they were like, okay, great. You have nine weeks to write this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was a little nuts, but we, you know, it's like all the, the content just flowed because it's stuff we'd been studying and practicing and teaching for so long. So that's how the book kind of came to be. I had no expectations of writing a book or it wasn't even on like a vision board or anything. And it's just, that's how crazy life is, right? It's so you can plan all you want and you know, things are going to come at you that are totally unexpected and in challenging ways, but in beautiful ways too. So the book is called Let That Shit Go. And it is, as I said, a hundred tips on how to find more peace and happiness in the everyday. And it's a very unfiltered and approachable way of looking at mindfulness. We actually don't even use the term mindfulness and meditation until the very end of the book, because we want you to get comfortable with, you know, your mind and things like self-love. We talk about acceptance and perspective and authenticity and forgiveness and, you know, all these things in the way of us experiencing, you know, that happiness that we are like all this shit in the way. So every chapter is like another piece of shit <laughs> for lack of a better term that you're trying to get rid of. <laughs> um, to, to help you access that peace within. Oh, I will have to read that because I, I mean, you can never let too much shit go. You can't. <laughs> well, we're, we're not actually, we're online on Amazon in the U S right now and, um, planning to be in Barnes and Noble for January, 2021. Ooh, um, okay. yeah, but, uh, for now you can get it online in Canada. We've become a bestseller and we're actually like the number six self-help book in Canada in the first year of launch, which is super exciting. That's so amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. Oh, okay. So I have two questions left for you. Yeah. Number one, what is on your spiritual bucket list? of things you want to do, you want to learn, you want to dive into, go deeper in. What is on that bucket wow. list? Um, I would say two things. One is to do a silent retreat. I've never done a silent retreat and I hear they are incredibly powerful. Um, a little hard with a little one right now, but I would love to, you know, get away even for a weekend because I think once you experience that, again, that solitude, that time with yourself, you get a sense of what that piece looked like. And then, you know, you can always access it. So I would love to do a silent retreat. Um, I would also somehow love to link, you know, you leverage spirituality and the tools to heal 
everything going on right now. I mean, the world feels a little fucked up, right? Like climate change mm-hmm. and, you know, po- politics and, yes. inequ- <laughs> you know, inequality and, you know, feminism. There's so many different things. Motherhood. Um, you know, I think there's so much pain that we're all carrying around and I think a lot of us suppress and we, you know, continue on in our careers or we continue on as mothers and we don't really give ourselves that peace and give ourselves that introspection and give ourselves Mm -hmm. that time to heal. And that, you know, after I had my little one, instead of going back to work, I actually spent, because I had her in 2014, I started my business in 2017 in between that you know, my partner was super supportive on, I'm like, I need to heal. Like I've just lost, you know, I lost my dad and brother. Now I've lost my mom. You know, I need time to do me. And for two years, I just did me. I went to meditation class. I listened to YouTube talks. I read self-help books. Like I, you know, forgave my dad. Like there was so much stuff in those two years, but I don't think we spend time on ourselves. And I, it was all my spiritual tools that I used to help heal. So I would love to, on a grander scale, you know, talk about all these world issues and, you know, what we can do to use spirituality and love to kind of heal what's going on. Mm -hmm. I feel that so deeply too. It's, yeah, it's it's a lot, you know, it's for people who are empathic or in tune. It's like, there's a lot going on. Yeah. You're nodding your head. You're like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely very heavy. And I've had to do a lot of work to not make it my own weight to carry too, and know that I can connect with it and tune into it, but not carry that weight. Totally. And last but not least, I like to end this podcast with words of encouragement for anyone listening who might need some wisdom to step into their most authentic self. So what are your wise words to end on? So I would say the, one of the biggest lessons I learned um, to step into my authentic self is to know that, you know, you are not your mind. You are not your thoughts. You know, as moms, we can be so critical. We can be riddled with guilt. You know, we're not doing enough for a kid. Now we're not, we can't do what we could do for work. Um, you know, we often don't feel good enough. We often look at, especially with all that comparing out there and, you know, everyone's perfect social media, you know, we, our mind takes us to, you know, apparently a study's done that 80% of our thoughts are negative. And so we so often associate ourselves with our minds. And I just want people to know that your true self is much bigger. I mean, your mind and your thoughts are a very small part of you. There's so much more to you. So, you know, take the time if it's an hour a week or an hour a month or, you know, whatever you can get to do you, you know, like watch Netflix and chill and spend time with girlfriends and go to spas and do all that stuff, but also take time to introspect because the minute you introspect is the minute you can bring things to surface. And when you can bring things to surface and look at them is when you can let that shit go, you know? Um, so the more you can unravel because it's not spirituality to me, it's not this journey of finding peace out there. It's all in here. So it's more unraveling again, all this shit that we've, you know, added to ourselves and finding our, our true nature, our true authentic self. So 
you know, the more we can let go of stuff and bring it to surface. And it's not always easy to look at stuff that, you know, we've gone through or stuff in the past, but the more we can, you know, be aware of it, um, and let it go, the more easy we're to be able to access that, that inner happiness and peace. Thank you for listening to Enlightenhood. For more wisdom from spiritual mamas like you in the form of guided meditations, videos, articles, masterclasses, and more, check us out at enlightenhood.com or connect with us on Instagram at enlightenhood. If you need a tribe of like-minded women to dive into personal and spiritual development with, check out our monthly membership where we show up, go inward and upward together. Enroll today at enlightenhood.com backslash membership for less than the cost of a yoga class. Until next time, you mindful mamas. Thank you.